morning, afternoon, and evening, and welcome to the 8311 Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersh, Ariane Berry, and Wyatt Teeter as we talk to you about the MLB, the NBA, Formula One, and of course, our signature segments, Mike Stupid Rules, and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 180. I'm going to completely forego the fun fact for this week because we need to take a little bit of time to talk about this whole conference. I'm not going to quite call it a realignment, I guess, but a potential realignment that's happening here with the Pac-12 and the Big 12 after allegedly USC and UCLA are defecting to the Big 10, uh, potentially. So what I've heard, and I think you guys have also heard this, but the Big 12 is potentially looking at picking up Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Utah, Oregon, and possibly Washington as well to join the Big 12, which would essentially decimate the Pac-12 and leave it, I mean, well, that, way, that way would worse than it is now. As of, as of right now, it would leave the Pac-12 with effectively Cal, Stanford, Oregon State, and uh, I'm blanking on the last one. Uh, the other one. Yeah, whichever other one's out there. Washington State, there it is. I, I mean, if you're the Big 12, how can you not? Right. It, at one point, back when Colorado left, Colorado left citing that the Pac-12 had more stability than the Big 12. And as of right now, I feel like that's been completely flipped on its head. It, and if you're the Big 12 and you don't jump on this opportunity right now, what the Pac-12 is going through at this moment will be the Big 12's demise in three, five, however many years. It's going to happen at some point where we shift towards four either four or three super conferences mega conferences whatever you gonna you want to call it or put a name to it and that's pure speculation obviously but if you're the big 12 and you don't act now you're gonna be left out yeah i mean it's already two going gets tough it's already two super conferences that's what you know the term big two is already being thrown around with the sec and the big 10 and if you have anybody that comes to your door or is game to do it, we need to do it as soon as possible. Everything you read talks about how the Big 12 or, you know, the ACC can add people. We're almost already looking at the Pac-12 as like, it's, it's kind of done. With everybody leaving and if we can add people, they're just going to have to figure out where they can go because it's not really going to exist anymore. Either the Pac-12 has to go and add teams like San Diego State and UNLV right now to stop the bleeding, but are the other schools happy? I mean, Oregon and Washington already came out and said that they were trying to at least get to the Big Ten once USC and UCLA announced their decision. Um, that hadn't been hasn't been voted on by the Big Ten, and as far as I know, at this point, the the Big Ten doesn't seem like they're going to take Washington and Oregon. So obviously they're looking to get out. But the Big 12, if they go after these six teams, big market value for the conference. You get Arizona and Arizona State, which are, I believe, within an hour or an hour and a half of each other. You keep that rivalry, plus you get the Phoenix market in to the conference. Um, Eugene, Oregon, and Oregon holds Nike money. They're mm-hmm. also the Big Twelve is is a big track conference, track and field conference. And do you know what Oregon hosts and has is a beautiful track facility that hosts like the Olympic trials and all of that 
stuff. So big win there. And then Washington, think about it. Washington is in Seattle. If the Big 12 is going for a new media deal in, when's the current one up? 2025, I think. I believe so. If the Big 12 wants to explore that, Amazon is headquartered in Seattle. Who says that Amazon Prime couldn't be the streaming service of the Big 12? Like exclusive media rights deal. It's a lot better than the ESPN BS that is ESPN Plus. Like get rid of Big 12 now. Absolutely garbage. So what's super interesting is that yeah, the Big 12 deals up in 2025, but the Pac-12 current setup they have now expires in 2024. Like they've got to be on the. Oh, crunch, it was 2023. Right? Oh, it's 2024. They only have one season basically, though, so they don't have any leverage. If people want to get out, is the perfect time to do it. They can wait till they're into the deal, and by that time, they basically have all their paperwork done to go jump ship and go wherever they need to go. Yeah, right. they're gone. Something else to consider, too, is that adding, you know, at the bare minimum, Utah, uh, Arizona, Arizona State, you're having some travel partners now for BYU. And in Colorado as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right there. You're getting more yeah, into that in addition time to, zone. Yeah, and adding you can, that Arizona rivalry. You talk about adding Utah. We now have the Holy War with Utah, BYU. I think the more rivalries you can get in conference, the better. Yeah, I agree. And Back in the day, K-State in Colorado actually had a fairly decent rivalry. It wasn't, it wasn't anything to write home about, nothing like uh, Paul Bunyan's axe when you, when you think about that. But it, it was something more noteworthy than uh, what Iowa State in West Virginia was, but what that has turned into. You the see? Riot Bowl. So, the Riot Bowl. So it, those things can happen and develop, sure, but it brings in you know, those, you know, those other teams. And you can s- begin to split the conference into an East and a West division more readily or a North and a South. I don't know that that one doesn't split as well, but East and West splits pretty well um, for that matter. It just makes a lot of sense for the conference. So I think it would be stupid if the new um, commissioner of the big 12 doesn't try and make a big splash here. I mean, Bob Bolsley back, Two years ago, in 2020, when Texas and OU were rumbling that they were going to leave, there was talks about a Big 12-Pac-12 merger. But I would say at this point, the Big 12 has all of the holds all the cards here because they could say, if we're going to get your schools without having to merge and share money with you, why don't we just go get your schools and effectively yeah. turn you into a non-existent conference? You get what you wanted initially, but I take it lightly in air quotes for free now rather and than having to come up with some <laughs> partnership and agreement. It's it's interesting because you, you talked about the Big 12 having more stability. We almost have that stability thanks to Oklahoma and Texas leaving. Like they left, the Big 12 was in shambles and a disarray and we didn't see anybody else leave. Whether yeah. that be because they didn't want to or because nobody else wanted them, that's fine. But we now have a cord that seems like it's going to stay in its place, at least for a while. So now we have what we have. We've added some teams, four teams, and we have potential to add some more. And if this is how it's going, where we're basically going to be a we're almost going to be like a major league West Coast, East Coast, AFC, NFC type deal. At least we can try and get in there and make it more of a three type of deal. I think the Big 12 has the upper hand right now versus the other 
two Power 5 conferences, I think where they have the strongest footing. So we'll have to see how it goes in the future, but as much as you can right now, I have optimism for expansion. Maybe I'm a little biased, but I hope so. I, also hope I so. do as well. This is huge for Brett Yormark, the, the new the new commissioner. Imagine like yeah. being dropped into his position right now. Like That's a big hurdle. It's huge. I, so he does, will quickly have, become either a good GM or not GM, you know what I mean? He'll either be looked upon fondly or not fondly very quickly, depending on how he handles this situation. So your, your little faux pas there of calling him a GM uh, actually leads me into my next thought, which is overall, I think these super conferences are ultimately bad for college sports. Maybe college football they're good for, right? Um, yeah. What else are they good for, though? I feel like this is completely, it could potentially destroy uh, wrestling, maybe not basketball as much, but some of these these other sports, you know, wrestling, golf, baseball, uh, I feel like are ultimately going to be hurt by these super conferences. Uh, what are our thoughts on having football only conferences? It then sounds... do you have to do do you have to do basketball only conferences to incorporate the Gonzagas and the Villanovas? I don't know because I feel like basketball overall, first of all, doesn't generate quite as much money as college football does. Um, and you don't really have that huge power spread between the, the really, really good teams, or at least if that is there, it's kind of nullified by having a proper 64 team elimination style tournament at the end of the it, year. And right? now the NIL is helping to alleviate that a little bit. Yeah. It just feels like what we're kind of getting into that bubble stage now, again, of, of conference realignment to the point where it's going to pop in the next six years. And what do we do at that point? Right. I just feel like if we had football only conferences, if that's the route that we need to go down to this, it might help quote unquote, save these other types of sports. I don't know. I mean, you're totally right that these moves are almost 100% driven just by football. Oh, absolutely. Like, we're not really thinking about the other stuff. And you, you got to wonder, it was at the beginning of this year where the committee struck down a 12-team playoff expansion. If that passes, is any of this actually happening? Or are people satisfied that they still have a chance to get their teams into that and get a little bit more money for their conference? Personally, I still think 12 teams is way too many teams. I think six or eight is your sweet spot. But uh, there are some smaller schools that already have, uh, like they have a basketball team that competes and they do not compete in football or vice versa. I think the Missouri Valley Conference is like that. So it's not unheard yeah. of. It could be a little confusing to start, but I could see that potentially being at least a little bit of a solution. But even if you look at that, are we looking at this weird super conference for football and then everybody breaks apart? For other sports, and in which case, why can't we just have divisions in these super conferences, like West, East, Pacific, whatever? I mean, at that point, you're just turning it into the G League of the NFL, right? Yeah, I mean, isn't it already? We're we're getting guys paid now. It's 100% a training thing. It's so much more focused on going to the next level. Uh, these aren't student athletes anymore. They're athletes that have to take school so they can keep being athletes. Uh, it's it's gone farther and farther to athletics and money making, which for better or worse, I can't say that, but it kind of already is like that. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't disagree. So uh, it's something that we could see really theoretically in the next 10 years. The, the whole college football landscape. I mean, look at it even there. I'm not even talking about basketball, just 
off the top of my head, it's you're always thinking about football first and foremost. Um, so yeah, it'll it'll be very interesting to see what happens. Oh, if you had to put money on it right now, out of those six teams that we talked about earlier, how many of them do you think come to the Big Twelve, and what's that time period like? Four. I agree. I would think four. Which four though? The Arizona schools, Utah, and Colorado. I agree. Those are the ones I'm thinking as well. And if I was going to guess, probably right at the end of their 2024 media deal, they would join right then. Isn't that right in line with when we're getting our other four schools? No, the other four coming in in 2023. 2023. And then theoretically, OU and Texas leave in 25. Correct. Which I think we should keep them in there. (laughs) I think think they're going to settle with the buyout which might be good for the conference yeah flush the conference with a little bit of cash i think i agree with those four but man i would really love to see at least oregon um yeah if you can get uh that'd be be big if you can get the big nike bucks you definitely got to try and do that of course this is all just speculation on our part but do you know what's not speculation the fact that baseball is about halfway over I mean, it, it really is the midway mark for, for all teams. Uh, some of the teams have eclipsed that, that mark on the season, and some are very close to it, um, i.e. the New York Mets haven't quite played enough games to be at the halfway mark because of how many games they got rained out at the, at the beginning of the season. So, And with that, the MLB trade deadline and All-Star break are also quickly approaching. The All-Star break happens prior um july 18th is the home run derby if you care about watching a bunch of guys mash baseballs into the night sky uh i don't know some people are for it i'm not as much for it uh and then the all-star game is on the 19th as well um i haven't checked in on all-star voting here recently uh let me pull that up um all of these are are obviously uh like fan voting so in the american league uh ty france is ty france and vladimir guerrero are kind of leading those those pollings um let's see you also got jose altuve in there some people might have some feelings about that jose ramirez and rafael devers devers i don't know how he doesn't make it he's been kind of flying under the radar for the uh Boston Red Sox. Aaron Judge is already in. That is because this is the this player is a top vote getter from round one that is already completed. Ronald Acuna from the National League is already in as well. Designated Which is hitter. He didn't even start the season. Right. He, he missed what the first three, four, five weeks. Yeah. So That's fan votes for you. Yeah. Go go fan votes. Yeah, um, they're so accurate. So accurate, so complete. So, yeah, the on the NL side, didn't give much love there. Pete Alonzo and Paul Goldschmidt are close. Goldschmidt, I don't know why he wouldn't get in there. Man, he's mashing 341 with an he over 1,000 OPS. Golly. Nolan Arenado and Manny Machado as well, duking it out at third base. I know we had talked about that before. Um, and then you got your your typical outfielders who are usually always in contention. Mookie Betts, Adam Duvall has been playing really, had been playing really well last year for the Braves, not doing as well this year. I think that's merely just because of fan voting. 
Starling Marte should hopefully get in. He's been playing really well for the Mets and then Jock Peterson as well. So we'll keep you up to date on that as the lineups and the rosters are being announced. But the MLB trade deadline is also approaching very quickly. August 2nd, 5 o'clock Central Time is that deadline. Uh, this does seem to be a seller's market. So there are going to be teams that are are looking to buy. Um, teams going to get better. Um, so I I definitely think that there's a lot of opportunity for, for some trades coming up here really quickly. Uh, some key names to watch, some of the names that have been obviously kind of mentioned a lot here recently. Andrew Benintendi, outfielder of the Royals. Uh, been hitting really well this season, 314 on the year. Great on-base percentage. Uh, high walk-to-strikeout ratio this year as well. Huge for a contending team that's in need of some outfield depth. Uh, David Bednar, right-handed pitcher from the Pittsburgh Pirates, is a good bullpen addition. Probably one of the better relievers on the market right now. Josh Bell, uh, if you need a first baseman slash DH power hitter, Washington Nationals are probably going to move on from him. If you're the Cincinnati Reds, you're selling the team like the Royals are probably doing this year as well. Luis Castillo and Tyler Maley, uh, both starting pitchers, um, projecting to be a four or five, um, maybe a three slot on some teams um, that are going to need pitching depth going into the playoffs, as well as Frankie Montas, uh, the starting pitcher for the Oakland Athletics. So some of those big trades will hopefully pick up here soon. Not a lot of trades have been happening so far. A lot of smaller trades and cash considerations. But fear not, as the MLB will pick that up and the trade deadline will hopefully be ferocious in the coming weeks. Speaking of ferocious, NBA free agency has begun, Ariane. Can you... Yes, indeed. I, there have been some head scratchers, I would say, so far. Can you can you fill us in on some of that? Oh yeah, we've had some fun. Um, free agency started last Thursday. Uh, the biggest move by far uh, was Rudy Gobert was on the move. Unfortunately, uh, we do not have Mike here to give his hometown perspective on this move. But the Utah Jazz traded Rudy Gobert to the Minnesota Timberwolves for what can only be described as a the mother load of hauls. It is massive. The Timberwolves sent out Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly, Walker Kessler, which was their first-round pick this year, Jared Vanderbilt, and Leandro Bulmaro, who I believe was their first-round pick last year. And in addition to those five players, is that five, one, two, three, four, five? Yeah, 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 five players. They also gave up their first-round picks in 2023, 2025, 2027, and 2029, and they only have a protection on one of those picks, and it's the top five protected pick in 2029. So regardless of what pick they get for those three first ones, the Jazz have their first round pick. And then for the last one, only if they get picks one through five, do they get to keep that pick. It'll move on to a second round pick next, the next year, I believe. But that's a lot. It's like historically a lot. I mean, you're giving up the future. You're giving up four, five, six first round picks. If you include last year's first round pick and this yes. year's? Essentially, you gave up one, two, three, four, five, six first rounders. Is any player worth that? That depends. Uh, I mean, if you look Giannis, at... Luca, Easy. I'd not do that. Rudy Gobert, right? Well, here's the thing. One, 
you might get people to come play with Giannis or Luca or, you know, these guys who are in a sexier market like L.A. or Miami, New York. Obviously not New York recently, but these are the Timberwolves. Nobody wants to come play in Minnesota. Nobody really wants. Nobody's going to upend their career to go play with Cat. No offense. They kind of had to make a big move and do what they could. So they paid a little bit more than probably some other teams would pay. And when you look at the history of the Timberwolves, they're just mad to terrible all the time. So for the Lakers, if you don't win a if you don't win a championship, I don't know what you were trying. But for the Timberwolves, if they make the playoffs for three, four years in a row, shoot, when's the last time they did that? I don't know, but it's been a long time. Did they overpay for him? Yeah, probably. But when you look at those players that they sent out, I think Malik Beasley's on an expiring contract. Patrick Beverly's on an expiring contract. Walker Kessler, never even saw him. But you basically upgraded Walker Kessler to... You, you combined Walker Kessler and Jared Vanderbilt, two big guys, to Rudy Gobert, who's the best defensive center in the league. And I don't even know if Leandro Bolmaro was in the NBA. He might have been overseas still. The picks is where it gets a little sketchy. It's a lot of picks. However, I'm very excited to see the fit with Gobert at the five and Cat at the four. It's going to be one of the tallest they're front a big courts. team. And when you think yeah. about how big Anthony Edwards is, too, like he's not super tall, but he is stocky. He's a wide guy. When they were playing in the playoffs last year and you saw him guarding John Morant, he looked like he weighed about two times as much as John Morant. So it'll be a fun team. Um, I think they're going to kill it all regular season. Rudy Gobert is just, he gives you a top five defense just by existing. If they can figure out how to, one, play together and two, stagger their minutes, I think you'll see kind of a staggered effect where Gobert plays a little bit more without Cat and Cat plays a little bit more without Gobert. Um, But... I think it's going to be a really good team. I think people are a little bit too down on it, and I'm probably a little bit too high on it, but I think it's going to be really good. I think Rudy Gobert got scapegoated for um, basically everybody else being terrible on the wings and the perimeter for the Jazz and the playoffs, Uh, but it's definitely interesting. They're going to be kind of working on a similar aspect as the Cavaliers, who also have a massive, massive lineup. If we can get away from small ball a little bit, I would love it. It's so boring to watch every team run out the exact same lineup. So if we have some guys going big, some guys going small, at least it'll be something different. At least we can watch different basketball get played. And we don't just all try and be a worse version of the Warriors. Because nobody's better at them than doing it. So at least try and do something that's your own thing. But I'm super high on it. I think it'll be good. We'll see how it goes. On the other side of that, the Jazz blew it up. I think they're going to be pretty rough this year. If I was them, I would have traded Donovan Mitchell instead, but they want to rebuild around him apparently, and we'll see how that goes. But I can guarantee you we'll see in five years. But to bring up your pick thing, if you show me any team and show me five years of their draft picks, how many of them do you think have drafted a player as good as Rudy Gobert? Probably not a lot of them. Yeah, that's a good point. And when you look at the contract windows for them, I know Rudy Gobert just signed, I don't remember, like a five-year deal last year. Cat just signed a Supermax extension. I believe Ant will sign one next year. So when you look at how those add up, pretty much the only year that's not going to be with those, at least those three guys, is that last top five protected 2029 pick. So they're basically betting, we 
with those guys will be good enough that we're giving up like a 25, not a 5. And whether they're right or not, we'll see. But I don't know. Picks are not super high value right now. They used to be super, super high value, and now people don't value them as much. And we'll see uh, whether that's right or wrong, but I don't know. What do you think about it? Do you think it was a good idea, terrible idea? I mean, when you talk about the Timberwolves market, I think you have to take into account that it is not a destination. It's not a South Beach. It's not the Miami Heat. It's not the Lakers. It's not, I mean, even going to Dallas to play with the Mavs, you know, it's not warm weather. It's not great. Um, so it, I think, I think initially looking at it, it seems like a massive overpay by the Timberwolves. Did they have to overpay possibly for it? Sure. But I think they're trying something different and they're going to try and see if it works because they're still in the Western conference and man, that Western conference is tough. So they got to try something that maybe no one else has and be unique. I was reading something, uh, reading something from a Timberwolves beat reporter, and he said he was just happy they were swinging for the fences. Obviously, there is going to be a risk when you go for a move this big, but he said uh, it's nice difference because how did he phrase it? He said, in the past, it's been like the ownership of the Timberwolves will look fans in the face, take their money, and then punch them in the face with how bad they've been. <laughs> so I, I think most people in Minnesota are just happy that they can see the owners and a-Rod is going to be one of those owners shortly. Um, just trying to make a difference and trying to build around their star. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, some hopefully, other... their, hopefully their swings actually make contact, unlike yeah. the Twins in the playoffs. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. Shout out to Mike. Yeah, good job, Mike. Uh, some of the other bigger trades. The Indiana Pacers sent Malcolm Brogdon to the Boston Celtics for Daniel Tice, uh, Aaron Neesmith, and a 2023 first-round pick. And the Celtics will also include Nick Stauskas, uh, Malik Fitz, and Jawan Morgan in the deal. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon makes that lineup incredible if he can actually stay healthy. We'll see. That's obviously the, always the biggest issue with him, but he's just another defensive guy. He's a great ball handler. He can shoot it. He kind of fills their, the hole that they had this year perfectly. So as long as he can stay healthy, the Celtics have as good a chance as anybody to get to the finals from that Eastern Conference next year. Uh, the Atlanta Hawks traded get Danilo Gallinari and multiple first-round picks to the San Antonio Spurs for the All-Star guard Dejounte Murray. Um, the Hawks are going to send three first-round picks and a future pick swap. Um, I don't. I mean, I get the deal. Dejounte Murray's excellent. He's a fantastic defensive guard. He's a fantastic rebounding guard. His playmaking's gotten a lot better. His shooting still needs to get a little bit better. But he has the ball in his hand a lot, as does Trey Young, for sure. I'll be interested to see how they play off of each other. Trey Young is somewhat notorious for not really moving if he doesn't have the ball. So Trey Young is fantastic with the ball in his hands, but if you're going to take it out and give it to another point guard, is he going to learn how to move, do off-ball screens, get open, cut back door? If he does, great pairing. If not, eh, it doesn't do as much for me. I like the Gobert trade more than I like this trade, which is definitely not the popular sentiment, but I, I think that that'll be a lot. I can see the fit better than the fit here, but saying that I'll probably be wrong and I'll look like an idiot, which is fine. Um, one other trade, not a huge one, but just important to us here on the podcast. The Washington Wizards are finalizing. They did finalize a trade to acquire the Denver Nuggets 
Will Barton and Monte Morris for Contavious Caldwell Pope and Ish Smith. Personally, I think that's a terrible trade for the Nuggets. Will Barton and Monte Morris both averaged double-digit points last year. Monte, maybe a little bit too big for him. He's 100% probably the best, if not top two or three backup point guards in the NBA. Um, maybe a little bit much for him to be starting every game. But Will Barton can do a good spark plug, six-man score thing. And you got one legitimate player back in Contavious Caldwell-Pope, who is basically Will Barton with better defense. And then for some reason, Ish Smith, who I don't see because getting any they playing wanted, time. They wanted a quote-unquote backup point guard. Ish Smith is... A- a veteran bench presence, in my opinion. He has not yep. played meaningful basketball since he played for the Pelicans. Uh, I, I see that as a win for the Wizards. They got a great guy, and if Will Barton is on, he's good. If he's off, he's not awful because he shoots as much anyway. Um, and Jalen Brunson, the biggest free agent there, signed a four-year... My computer just went to sleep. I think it was a $104 million deal with the Knicks. Yep, that's correct. So he did not re-sign with the Mavericks. He did not get his Supermax, you know, maximum deal that they had talked about possibly, but he did still get that bag and he's going to make a ton of money and hopefully he continues his success with the Knicks um, like very few people <laughs> have in the recent history of the Knicks, but good luck to him for sure. And then on the not has happened yet, but is being talked about constantly front, uh, allegedly KD has demanded a trade from the Nets. After last week, I told you apparently everything was good. About 16 hours after we recorded that, it came out that he demanded a trade. And all the reports are that Kyrie will head out after him. Um, Obviously, we just saw how many picks Rudy Gobert went for. So Lord knows what they're going to be able to get for KD if they can. In my opinion, I don't know. I haven't studied the cap and looked at all the different things that you can do or can't do. But my two top teams, allegedly KD's two top teams are the Suns and the Heat, which big surprise, KD wants to go to the two number one seeds in both conferences. We've seen how he picks his teams before. A little bit of a front runner. But in my opinion, if I was looking at it, the two teams I want to go to, Toronto and New Orleans. I think those are two teams that can give up a, a solid piece and picks and still have a team that you can win with. When you look at Toronto... They have Scotty Barnes, who would probably be out the door in that, but you still have Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, uh, Fred Van Vliet. Those are all guys who borderline all-star potentially, maybe not OG, but the other guys. And then for New Orleans, if Zion can ever get healthy and get his weight down, they can ship Brandon Ingram out, who is basically KD Light anyway. And now you have these young guys. We saw what their core looked like last year. They have CJ McCollum now. You get Zion Williamson. A big three of McCollum, Durant, Zion can 100% win a championship, in my opinion. Um, But we'll see what he thinks and what ends up happening there. It's shifting. The reports are different every day. What teams can, can't do it. Who's in contact. Um, The big thing with Kyrie, potentially, maybe he could end up in L.A. And I would hate that because, one, we just end up with Kyrie with LeBron again, which apparently that's the whole reason that he left Cleveland. And two... I don't think that L.A. should be able to get out from under that god-awful Russell Westbrook trade that I hated when they did it and was even worse than I could have imagined. I think they should have to sit with that until it ends because you have bad team building and you deserve to be... You deserve to sit that out and watch it. 
Um, but definitely keep an eye on that. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> I think Brian Windhorst said it's possible they might keep him. I don't see how that can happen. Uh, there, there's just no way that the relationship isn't too frayed for that. But uh, that's pretty much all I got on that end. Uh, Summer League is happening. As I found out when I thought it started tonight, it started on the second. But if you're looking to watch some young guys get some run in and some NBA action, check it out. I think it's on ESPN. Um, Any questions? Any thoughts about any of these deals, Kyle, Wyatt? No, no questions. But man, good luck to KD and Kyrie. And oh, by the way, the Brooklyn Nets could say, hey, we'll see you in training camp. Yeah. So I mean, if you're another team, how much are you willing to give up for these guys? who seemingly don't care how long their contract is and just right. decide they want to leave anyway. I, yep. I'm i not going to... We'll see. I might or I might not write it down in these coming weeks. There's going to be an NBA lockout next CBA. I can almost guarantee you. Because of all these guys not honoring their deals, sitting out for this or that, I anticipate that happening. Yeah. But we will move on from that. And uh, we had a big race this weekend in the F1 world. So I will throw that over to Wyatt and Kyle, and I will listen to their wisdom here. Oh, we absolutely had a big race. But before we do that, we haven't even talked about F1 yet on the podcast. And we're already like 10 races into a 22 race season. So I just wanted to at least get y'all up to date on the current top standings for drivers and constructors real quick. And then a, a brief overview of some of the highlights so far before we start talking about Silverstone. So. Talking about uh, F1 drivers, uh, as we all know, of course, or if you don't, now you're going to get learned. Drivers themselves score points for them individually and for their team. Their team is called a constructor. Uh, Drivers points, for example, first place gets 25 points. Second place gets four like that. uh, The the point distribution varies exponentially towards first place. So, so far, our top five, we have... Um, Max Verstappen with 181 total points. No surprise there. Uh, Perez, or, um, myself, give me a second. Yeah, it was. Yeah, Sergio Perez uh, for 147 points. Charles Leclerc for 138. Carlos Sainz for 127. And not who you think it is, but George Russell for 111 points rounds out our top five of the drivers. Lewis Hamilton is a guy who I would compare to as essentially the Tom Brady of the motorsports world or at least the formula one and he is obviously missing out the top five he's number six right now behind his teammate george russell with 93 total points which to some people is a surprise and i know mike has also considered i know he's not here to defend himself but he's also considered uh lewis hamilton to be over the hill or a very close to retirement so we'll see what how that shakes out the rest of the rest of the season there's still plenty more races to win and like i said if you get first place that's a solid 25 points there tacked on to your driver profile. Constructors, if we briefly go through those, uh, to no one's surprise, Red Bull Racing is the leader right now with 328 points, followed closely by Ferrari and then Mercedes with 265 and 204 points respectively. And then the top of our mid-tier constructors, we have McLaren with 73 points. Uh, huge shout out to Lando Norris for scoring pretty much all of those. And then Alpine uh, with 67 points. Honorable mention, Williams has scored three single points so far. So a big shout out to them. Uh, but that's kind of how our top of our constructors and the, the middle of the pack there has shaped out over the last 10 races. Yeah, so just to clarify the point breakdown, uh, points awarded per race 
So if 75% to 100% of the race is completed, which we have done so far this year in every single race, first place gets 25, second gets 18, third gets 15, fourth 12, fifth 10, sixth 8 points, seventh 6 points, eighth place 4, ninth 2 points, and then 10th gets 1 point. And if you have the fastest lap of the day on the track, you get one additional bonus point. A bonus point's just for the driver. It does not go towards the conductor. Correct. That's why Williams having three points is fantastic, because that means they've had at least three top ten finishes, or top nine and a top ten. Oh, yeah, good for them. And real quick, just kind of uh, things that I thought about so far this season that I wanted to mention was, uh, number one, Ferrari still doesn't have a strategy, just like the past two or three years now. No surprise there. Um, new cars for this year have increased allowance for downforce, which has caused a lot of porpoising, where the back end of the car will hit which pops the front up which makes the front come down and the back go up and then does a little porpoising effect thing which is causing a lot of strain on driver's bodies uh, lewis hamilton for example i know he's old quote unquote but uh he's having some back issues due to porpoising a couple races ago daniel ricardo the honey badger in my opinion is just down on his luck uh, he has not been performing very well at all yet this season for example in silverstone he had a faulty drs system which essentially stayed open drs is called a drag reduction system it essentially opens up the rear wing of the car to allow more air to go through it which makes you go faster but it decreases the downforce on the rear wheels uh, if you're going 200 miles an hour and you need to make a really tight turn you need as much downforce as you can possibly get otherwise you're gonna have to slow down since his drs was faulty and staying open therefore leading to decreased grip uh, they elected not to use it, which made him really fall very far back in the pack throughout that race. His teammate, Lando Norris, like I mentioned, he's kicking butt, though. Um, seven top ten finishes so far and a podium at Amola. So he's doing great. The past it, the past two years that I've seen him race, just absolutely fantastic. Podium at Imola. What did I say? Not Imola. Oh, yeah, that is not uh, not the same thing. <laughs> The Italian, we're from, is we're from Italian the Midwest. City. Yeah, we yeah, pronounce it how we want to. It's not the same Italian city. <laughs> We'll just call it the Italian Grand Prix and uh, move on to talk about the British Grand Prix, which just happened this past week. Yeah, so uh, the British Grand Prix or Silverstone, um, as many refer to it as, is one of the most historic tracks on the calendar. Um, it has been home to many, many great uh, Grand Prix races throughout its history, um, as it is a conversion of an old airfield um, in the United Kingdom. So it's about an hour and a half northwest of London for all of those out there who are wanting their geographical bearings. So what happened in the race? So first off, I would like to send a big congratulations to Carlos Sainz. Uh, he managed to pull off his first podium ever in his Formula One career on his 150th career Grand Prix, which is a big accomplishment. Um, part of that was due to Charles Leclerc, his teammate, spinning out on the final lap in qualifying, which uh, forced Max Verstappen to let off, off a little bit, uh, subsequently giving Carlos the, the slight time advantage there in qualifying in Q3 to gain pole position. So as the race began on a Sunday, there was a huge, huge accident in this race. Now, Silverstone is known for its high-speed uh, turn one, uh, which means that there's not a lot of braking, not, not a lot of let off on the, on the throttle going into the turn. So it is a full-speed start 
um, for these drivers. So George Russell, who started in eighth, Joe Guan Yu uh, in the Alfa Romeo, uh, starting in ninth, as well as Pierre Gasly were the main three that caused this initial incident. Um, so right on takeoff, uh, George Russell did start on the hard compound tires, which are are the longest durability in Formula One, but they're also the hardest to warm up at the beginning. So he didn't have a lot of traction, was sliding towards the middle a little bit. Nicholas Latifi in the Williams got a great start, shot the gap between Joe Grand Guan Yu and George Russell. So Pierre Gasly tried to follow suit, but at the same time, George Russell was sliding over to the left. Uh, Pierre Gasly touched the right or the left rear tire of George Russell and these cars, any little bump, it sent George Russell spinning straight into Joe Guan Yu on the Alfa Romeo. And unfortunately, what you don't like to see is uh, basically George Russell, the front wing of George Russell's car uh, got under Joe Guan Yu and flipped him over. Now, his Alfa Romeo went sliding at, I don't know what speed it was at this point, but super fast across the, the asphalt. Um, all the way through the gravel uh, runoff designed to slow cars down. And as it was barrel rolling, it tried to right itself and it landed in between the fence um, and the wall, the catch fence and the wall. Now, thankfully, they have the new halo top um, on this this generation of the cars. I'll let you look into that and the controversy surrounding that a little bit. But it saved a man's life this week. Uh it was a wild, scary crash. It left the, the race in a red flag for about 45 minutes, um, and the, the drivers ended up doing a standing restart uh, after that. So in the first couple of laps, uh, it was a great, there was a great battle between Max Verstappen, Charles Leclerc, and Carlos Sainz. Max Verstappen, unfortunately, did pick up some, uh, some undercar damage uh, in the race when going over one of the curbs. So it dropped him back pretty far. Um, but at the end of the race, the last 10 laps, there was a, uh, caution. And thanks to Ferrari's lack of a strategy, they pitted Carlos Sainz, but not, did not pit Charles Leclerc, the race leader at that time. And he had a little bit older, hard compound tires. They had 14 laps or so on them which meant it was going to be really hard for him to keep up and stay out in front of the three cars behind him that did pit. And that is exactly what happened. At the race restart, Ferrari did instruct Carlos Sainz to stay behind and kind of hold up the rest of the racers. Carlos took it into his own um, initiative a little bit and decided to just go for it. And he passed Charles Leclerc on the restart pretty early, and then Leclerc, Hamilton, and Checo Perez which actually had an incredible drive all the way back from 17th after sustaining some front wing damage at the beginning of the race, uh, ended up having a fantastic battle with Checo Perez finishing in second, Lewis Hamilton getting third in that final podium spot, and Charles Leclerc unfortunately got the brunt of uh, the lack of a uh, strategy dropping all the way from first to fourth. So unfortunate event and day for uh, Charles Leclerc, but... Carlos Sainz got his first ever Formula One victory, which is a long time awaiting. He transformed, or he, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, converted his pole position into a podium, a first place podium finish for Ferrari. So that was your order, and that was the race. So one race next week, 
they are racing next week in Austria, the uh, Grand Prix there, and then a week off, two more races, and then it will be summer break for F1. So we will start filtering a little bit more of this in uh, here and there as we're getting into the summer months. So stay tuned for more F1. Ariane, can you enlighten us on this installment of Mike's Stupid Rules? I would love to. Mike is having a lovely vacation right now, so uh, I'm going to step in. And uh, my specialty, the NBA, and with all of this trade drama, uh, with Kevin Durant being traded, obviously they're looking for the best young piece they can get. However, what has come up a lot is what is called the between the designated rookie rule and the Derrick Rose rule, which is technically the fifth year 30% max criteria, according to the NBA CBA. So the big thing that has come up is that an NBA team is permitted to carry up to two players on designated rookie extensions. Now, a designated rookie extension means that on the fourth year of a rookie scale deal, um, they can sign a slightly larger contract than they normally could. Um, generally, con- NBA contracts are limited to five total years. However, they can sign that an extra five years onto that, which technically makes it six. So you're allowed to do that with your own rookies to keep them a little bit more. And um, it just kind of helps to keep somebody there if you drafted them to kind of help those small market teams. And um, you are allowed to have two of those on your roster. However... You can only carry one of those designated rookie contracts on your roster if those players were acquired in a trade. To have two, they have to have been drafted by you. Kind of how the Nuggets have Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. You're allowed to have those. However, because Ben Simmons is already on one of those deals, he was traded from the Sixers to the Nets. For them to get another one of those deals, they would have to get rid of Ben Simmons. So say like Devin Booker just signed a, a long deal. Well, that's not a rookie extension, but I, I can't think of one off the top of my head, but like John Morant just signed one. That's right. So they could not get John Morant because if they did, they would have two on their roster and that is not allowed to become eligible for that. Um, you, you can also sign them to a 30% of your salary cap rather than the standard 25% if they meet criteria for what is called the Derrick Rose rule which just lets you pay more for your salary for a a really good young player, again, to try and keep them on your roster. Um, Those qualifications would be that the player was named to an all-NBA team in the most recent season or in two of the past three seasons. The player was named Defensive Player of the Year in the most recent season or in two of the past three seasons. Or the player was named Most Valuable Player in any of the past three seasons. So that kind of shows you a little bit of the different machinations and how people can keep their young guys on the team. But that is just one thing to keep an eye on in these Kevin Durant trade deals. All these younger guys you hear about, check and see if they're on their rookie max contract extension there. And if so, they are not eligible unless the Nets can somehow get rid of a man who hasn't played in over a year. Uh, His trade value wouldn't be very high for Ben Simmons, but just a thing to keep an eye on there. Um, Any questions on that? wild i feel like oh. nba trade rules are almost as complicated if not more complicated than the actual rules on the court it is weirdly archaic and i i mean like i said they just kind of implemented it to try and keep guys where they were drafted 
so that they don't try and bolt for the big markets as soon as possible. But what you're saying it's is a lot to keep track of. Rules are kind of there to help these players stay accountable to their initial trade deals. Yeah. And it just uh, like something that people are trying really hard not to do these days. What we're trying really hard to do is stay accountable with our write-that-down predictions, though. And since Mike's not here to hold us accountable, I'm going to go ahead and step in and run us through our extremely long accountability session that consists of one prediction that came off due to the British Grand Prix, and that was Kyle's prediction that Mercedes will win the Grand Prix. As we talked, Carlos Sainz, Sergio Perez, and Lewis Hamilton rounded out the podium there, which means that Mercedes did not win, and therefore Kyle gets a nah, nah, nah. I do have a prediction for Mike, though, and his prediction is that the Wolves will make the second round of the playoffs next year. I'm high. I'm high on the Wolves, but probably I, I do think they're going to be a lot better next year. It's probably at least a double. Be, I think it's they're going to be better, but that Western Conference is tough. That's we're, true. We're talking a whole season, too. Like That's a long time. Yeah. Leaning more towards a triple. A triple? I'd Let be look. okay with a triple. Let me look here. You can yeah, hit this the Western Conference is going to be tough. That's fine. We can do a triple. Triple it is. I also have a prediction from Josh this week. He is still alive. And that is that the Cubs will finish the regular season last in the NLCS. That race for last in the NLCS, also a bloodbath. It is. In the, in the NL Central, right? Oh, yeah. Sorry. NL Central. I don't know why I said that. What did you even say? Well, it's written NL down as the NLCS, too. So. Oh, that's not my fault. Oh, then. God. <laughs> so you have the pirates the cubs and the reds fighting for their lives at a whopping 405 400 and 342 win percentage respectively um i feel like it's gonna be hard to overtake the reds i agree especially with how much the reds are gonna sell i was gonna say they're gonna try and get rid of two starting pitchers and probably will i got reed was a triple yeah i was gonna say second or double but I am outvoted, so triple it is. Triple it is. And then finally, my prediction. I'm going to say that Daniel Ricardo will eventually get a podium this year. You're high on him, and I'm not. Uh, I mean, I shouldn't be. If Lando Norris can get a podium with McLaren, so can Daniel Ricardo. He has 22 ra- or 12 races to do it. <coughs> Out of his previous double? performances, makes you think Were you wanting a double? I, I don't know what I was wanting, actually. I didn't really have a uh, point value in mind. Hey, if you say double, I'll say double. So I think something crazy happens this year. You know how Lance Stroll got on a podium last year? Latifi's going to make it up or something. Is that what you're saying? It's going to get that crazy? Not that crazy. It's going to be Daniel <laughs> Ricardo winning a race crazy or getting on a podium crazy. I think double. Double it is. What do you got, Kyle? So I'm going to say that the Big 12 will add exactly six more teams. I need a time so, limit here. So I think I think oh we'll give you to the end of the season. Till the yeah, till the end of the write that down season. So next May. They will have announced adding six teams. Correct. Home run? Yeah, I'll press X to doubt. I would like to see it, don't get me wrong. I really would. But yeah, I, I just don't I don't think it's gonna happen. Even if it too, happens, it's, it's, it's too still fast. too early. Yeah, it's too early to know. All right. As I said like five seconds ago. I'm big on the Wolves this year. Uh, Rudy Gobert is a floor raiser to the max. He will kill in the regular season. And for that reason, I say that the Wolves will finish the regular season in the top four 
of the Western Conference. As we also just said, the Western Conference is a bloodbath. So that means... Who's going to be up there? Phoenix? Golden State? Well, Phoenix, we don't know what's happening with DeAndre Ayton yet. Okay. That could change it a lot. Golden State will be up there. Yep. The Grizzlies. The Grizz. The yeah, Mavericks. The Grizzlies will be up there. The Nuggets are going to come back with Murray and Porter Jr. now. The Clippers should will have Porter Kawhi. Jr. Play, play a whole season? We'll see. They should probably rest him. He's had too many back issues. But I think he'll easily play 65 to 75 games as long as he doesn't get injured again. Um, the Clippers should have Kawhi and PG back. Plus, I think Pel- for what it's worth, they're adding John Wall. Yeah, we'll see. I'm I'm very low on that move, but some people seem to like it. Maybe he still has it in him. Um, the Pelicans should be really good. The Lakers couldn't possibly be worse than they are now. The Trailblazers honestly should be pretty good with Damian Lillard coming back. They got Jeremy Grant. They're kind of deep. We'll see what happens. It's a lot in there. I think the Timberwolves are better than the Lakers. I do as well. The Trailblazers. The Pelicans. The, the, uh, they're at least more experienced than the Pelicans. I'm not going to lie. I kind of want to give you a single just to complete the cycle for this this week. Ooh, <laughs> I would be upset. <laughs> the process of elimination. A single is I out think... the door. <laughs> this is straddling triple the home run, in my opinion. Home run, you think? Oh, no. Yeah. Come on. I now. was. I was. I was closer to the double end of a triple than the Whoa. home run end of a triple. Let me just drop four teams right now. You tell me which one the Tim- you think the Timberwolves are for sure better than. The Warriors, the Mavericks, the Grizzlies, the Nuggets, and the Clippers. That's five teams right there. They're better than the Clippers. That's a lie. With PG and Kawhi back, have you looked at their roster? They're not playing a whole year. Are you kidding me? Oh, PG will. Kawhi, yeah, he'll he'll load manage. It's not a home run. It is a triple. All right. I would agree. Triple it is. With three triples, a double, and a home run, that concludes our Write That Down prediction statement, which means we're at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening to episode 180 of the 811 cast. Appreciate y'all sticking around. Make sure you tune in next week for episode 181, where we talk about other things, including a fun fact about Carlos Sainz, actually. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Signing off for the 811 cast, your hosts, Kyle Mersh. Ariane Barry and Wyatt Theater. Talk to y'all again next week. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones.